You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Good morning to you. Oh, no, rather good afternoon. Good afternoon. If we haven't met before, my name's Tom and I lead the team here at Hope Church. It's great to see you this afternoon. And uh, before we get into today's message, I want to just give you a little bit of an update on our building project. So most of you will know that we are in the process of redeveloping the former Odeon Cinema right in the center of town. And uh, in two weeks' time, we're going to be giving into the latest of our special offerings uh, for this project. We've got a target of £200,000 in our hearts and minds, and we're going to be giving big in two weeks' time. And I just felt it would be helpful just to uh, show you and help you to understand what our giving is going to achieve. Uh, If we're to raise that £200,000 target, uh, that alongside the money that we will receive from the sale of this building, which we should receive at the end of March, which will be about £300,000, we will be able to um, do a number of different things in the building to uh, get it prepared for us. And our aim is still to be in before the end of this year, uh, finance allowing. So uh, this week... Work started to remove some pillars from what will be our auditorium. We can just have the next image up. That would be great. This is just an impression of what the uh, auditorium might look like. There may be different colors and so on. But you can uh, perhaps appreciate that there have been some pillars uh, removed from the space. We just figured that we're kind of done with having pillars right in the middle of of our auditorium. And so work is underway to uh, remove them. That started already. And in the coming weeks, we're going to be uh, building the stage in the auditorium. We're going to be bringing air conditioning into the auditorium, which will be a big blessing because you know, as well as I do, how hot it can get in the summer in in a place of worship. Um, We're going to be bringing in the baptism pool. It's going to be built into the floor, which is very exciting. Uh, We're praying that that's going to be used lots in the years to come. Uh, Electrical work is going to be done across the building to just bring the electrics up to date. And there's also going to be rooms created in the old cinema screen. So this is two screens kind of merging into one. But downstairs, there's three further screens which are going to be made into lots of different rooms. So in the coming weeks and months, a lot of that work can happen as we give uh, generously in a couple of weeks' time. Um, Just to let you know that if you head to this website, hopeipswitch.co.uk, forward slash building. You can see the floor plans on there, but you can also see a brand new blog that Matt has started, uh, who uh, leads the project, and he's going to be posting updates on there so that you can keep up to date with what's happening, what works are going on, and that you can be praying as well. There is a uh, an option on that page to sign up to our prayer updates. You can click on that. You can sign up to receive prayer updates so that we together can be praying, because we do believe that prayer really is effective and that we need to pray Uh, to see this uh, project uh, through to completion. And that not only will it be completed, that it will be very fruitful for our town. I was chatting with a friend of mine called Alex. Many of you know Alex, uh, who's a beautiful Lebanese guy, works as a car parking uh, guy in the town. He says, I tell people all the time, this is going to be my church, this building here, and this church is going to shine bright in Ipswich. And I love that. That's the vision. We're all about Jesus, pointing people to him. You probably picked up on that from our worship. We love Jesus, and we want people to know him. We want people to enjoy him and worship him. So that's the vision behind it. And we've known amazing provision so far. We've known money coming in just when we've needed it. We've prayed from the outset that we would not have to be stalled at any point because of lack of funds. And praise God, that has not happened. Every time we've been stalled, it's been through other things that we just needed to work through. Praise God, we've not had to stop works because of lack of funds. And we're trusting that in the months to come, That's just going to continue. That right at the right time, the money's going to come in. At the right time, we're going to be able to do the next thing 
that we need to do. So let's go for it in two weeks. Let's, uh, let's, let's go for it with our hearts just fixed on Jesus, saying, Jesus is all about you. This is all about your fame and renown. So let's go for it uh, with, with giving. Let's not think, I'll think about it nearer the time. Let's think about it even now, maybe even over lunch or this afternoon. Let's think, how can I give into this? How can I look at what I have? How can I give back to God what he's already just given to me in the first place? Okay, we're going to be continuing our series uh, in the book of Luke, which is one of the accounts of Jesus' life. So if you have a, a Bible, you might like to turn to chapter 4, and we're going to read uh, from chapter 4 in just a moment. But I don't know if you know this, but we right now are in the future New York or Rome or Paris, because this week TripAdvisor named Ipswich as the 14th best up-and-coming tourist destination in the world. That's great news, isn't it? Now, some of you are thinking already, I think they've got the wrong Ipswich. Some of you are thinking they've got it confused with Ipswich in Australia or Ipswich in America. I saw one comment online this week which made me laugh. It has to have been by a man. It was so sarcastic. He said, I think they're counting people who are stuck in traffic as tourists now. (laughs) But the BBC had a more positive spin. And they put it down to this great man, Ed Sheeran, who uh, last year finished one of the, well, the most successful music tour of all time. He is undoubtedly the biggest pop star in the world right now, and he grew up just a few miles from here. And he, having toured the world, having bought in 120 million pounds, having 7 million people come to see his shows, he then finished his shows with four nights in a row here in Ipswich, his homecoming gig. And this is probably the reason why our town has had the tourism boost that it's had. We love it, don't we, when a local boy does good? We love it. We love it when someone from a place that isn't really highly thought of makes it to the big time and we celebrate it. We celebrate this guy so much, we've made a museum to him and he's only like 28. (laughs) It's like he's died, but he's not. And you need to understand that Jesus was from a town called Nazareth, which was literally the butt of everyone's jokes. People said of Nazareth, nothing good can ever come from Nazareth. There was no sports teams from Nazareth. There was no famous world leaders, no famous warriors. There was no one. No one came from Nazareth. And suddenly, Jesus has arisen. And after the time in the wilderness that we covered last week, he's now on an almighty preaching tour. And he's going around all of the region of Galilee and is suddenly getting a name for himself. We don't really know exactly what that preaching tour looked like, except we know that he preached and we know that people were astounded. We can glean from elsewhere in the Bible that there were some miracles going on on this preaching tour. People were getting healed. People were getting freed from oppressive spirits. But his name was starting to be talked about. He was starting to become famous. And today we're going to pick up the story when Jesus comes on the homecoming leg of his tour, when he comes back to his hometown of Nazareth. So let's pick up the story in Luke chapter 4 and verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and the report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. You need to understand at this point, this synagogue was packed. People heard Jesus was coming to town. People heard Jesus was going to be the preacher at the synagogue. 
And suddenly all his mates from school who maybe they played sports with him when they were young and now they've got kids of their own. They're, they're taking their families to go and hear Jesus speak. And the old people who, who maybe once pinched Jesus' cheeks in the marketplace, they've all got a story about how once they knew him and how they bought uh, furniture from his family. They're all turning up at the service. And there's people who have never spoken to Jesus, but they had that one story about how they once looked at him. And they once, you know, they, they feel like he maybe nodded at them once when they were walking down the road. They've all got a story about Jesus, and they're all turning up at the synagogue. It's packed. There's, the parking is a nightmare. They, the coffee's run out before the service. They are, they are literally struggling to get people into the building, and the atmosphere is electric. And Jesus stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. That was the custom. They would sit down to preach after the reading of the word. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. No one was checking their phones. No one was thinking about lunch. They're all glued to him. What's he going to say next? This is the best opening line to a preach ever. And he said to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is about me. This is about me. These famous verses... These famous verses that everyone in the synagogue would have heard read to them from a young age of this servant of God that was going to come and on him the spirit would rest. On him the power of God would rest. They've heard these verses. They've heard this promise. And now Jesus sits down, this, this rock star preacher who's getting a name for himself. And he says, this is about me. And they marveled at him. They spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said amongst themselves, is this not Joseph's son? They are amazed. They are astounded. They are transfixed on Jesus. But Jesus sees something in their hearts. Maybe the Holy Spirit reveals something to him and he sees something of the state of their hearts. And he sees that they are wanting him to do amongst them what he did in Capernaum and on the other legs of the tour. They're wanting the encore. They're, they don't want just the preach. They want the healing. They want the, the powerful stuff. They want Jesus to do some stuff for them. They want Jesus to make the magic happen, as it were. And Jesus sees that in their hearts. He sees that they are really in it for, not for him, but for the stuff. Not really in it for him and to treasure him for who he is, but they want him to do the magic stuff that will make them go, wow, and will make them impressed. And not only does he detect this in them, but he also detects some spiritual pride in them. He detects some spiritual pride in them, which is a disease really not just carried by the people of Nazareth, but actually the nation of Israel, and actually any religious person ever. Because there's this spiritual pride in the people of Nazareth that really thought that God's purposes were centered on one nation and one nation alone. That God had plans only for their nation. And you need to understand that thousands of years before this, God had come to a guy called Abram, who was very old and had a very old wife. 
and they had no kids. And God said to Abram, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to make you into a great family. I'm going to give you more descendants than the stars in the sky. I'm going to give you more descendants than the grains of sand on the beach. I'm going to make you into a great people. I'm going to make you into a great family. And I'm going to bless your people. I'm going to bless your nation. And through your nation, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. Every single nation will be blessed. And God fulfills his promise to Abraham, to Abraham even. He changes his name to Abraham, which means father of many. And God uh, allows his people to prosper. They go through a very, very difficult time in Egypt. And yet God still prospers them. He brings them out of Egypt. He gives them their own land. And he shows them his glory in incredible ways. And yet spiritual pride kind of sets in. This pride of, well, we're the, we're the chosen people of God. We're the ones who, who God has, has plucked out of this world, and it's, it's all about us. And they lost sight of the fact that they were meant to be a light to the nations, that they weren't just to enjoy and keep all of this blessing to themselves, but actually they were to be a blessing to the nations. And you see again and again, this people, they get overthrown and they get exiled. They get kicked out of their country. And despite this pain and this suffering, there's this promise of a Messiah. There's a promise of a special one who's going to come and as we see in Isaiah, who's going to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And they hear this as he's going to come and restore Israel to its former glory. He's going to come and, and make Israel great again. He's going to be the one who's going to come and lift us out of our oppression because they're under Roman rule at this point. And it's not particularly pleasant. For some it is, the, the ones that have cozied up to the Romans. But for most people, it's not very good. And so when they hear Jesus saying, this is about me, I'm the Messiah, this is going to be great news. They're rejoicing because they're thinking, wow, Jesus is going to make things better again for us. He's going to lift us out of this oppression. We're not going to be poor anymore. But Jesus is seeing they haven't understood some things. They've not understood that God's rescue plan was always meant to be global. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 8, we read that God proclaimed the gospel to Abraham. God proclaimed the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This was always the deal. It was always the plan that through Abraham, through his descendants, the whole world would be blessed. This was always meant to be a global thing. It was never meant to be contained to one small part of the world. And Jesus sees that these people have forgotten that. Jesus sees that they've, they've misunderstood some things about God's big plan. That it wasn't just about one nation, but actually it was always God's plan A to have a global family. It was always God's plan A to have a global family. And so Jesus, he sees this within them. He sees that he is the fulfillment of Abraham's promise. He's a descendant of Abraham and now through him, through faith in him, there's an opportunity for everyone from all nations to be blessed. There's an opportunity for everyone to come to know the blessing of God. And so he decides to tell them some stories. And with Jesus, story time isn't very cozy and comfortable. When Jesus tells stories, it's normally that he's going to make a very, very sharp point. And so he, he reminds them of some stories that they probably would have been familiar with. After they've said is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we've heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. 
And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. He's saying here, he's quoting to them from the book of 1 Kings. He's saying, there's a great famine in the land. People are literally starving. And who does God send Elijah to? God's promised, kind of uh, God's special guy at that time, the prophet. Who does he send Elijah to? He sends Elijah to a Phoenician woman, a woman who's a Gentile, a woman who's not even in the in crowd. She's not of Jewish background. She's not one of the chosen people, as it were. So he tells that one story, then he goes on. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. There's this pandemic of leprosy going on. And masks don't cut it. They are struggling. People are getting leprosy all over the place. There's a great pandemic of leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. He's again saying to them, God chose to heal a Syrian king, a Syrian leader. He didn't come to the people of Israel in that time. And the point Jesus is making is that this is far wider than you think it is. That God's plan is, is far bigger than you think it is. You think it's just about this one nation? It's not going to look like you think it's going to look. My kingdom is, is not going to look like you think it's going to look, guys. That's what Jesus is saying to these people. That God's grace, God's favor, God's undeserved favor isn't going to be just for the people you think it should be for. It isn't going to be just for those who have kept the law or who have you know, been part of the in crowd and have the right heritage and background. He's saying, no, God's favor is going to be blown open to all who will believe. God's favor is going to rest. To all who will, who will thirst, I'm going to provide. To all who hunger, I'm going to provide. To all who will come to me and say, Lord, I need you. I'm going to pour out my favor. This is what Jesus is saying here. He came to proclaim God's favor. God has always been a God of grace. He didn't start, he didn't suddenly come, kind of find himself in a good mood in the New Testament. He's always been a God of, of grace and favor. He took hold of Israel, not through anything special about them. He just chose. He's always been a God of grace. And this day of great favor is now upon us, Jesus announces. And what this would have kind of conjured up in the minds of his hearers would have been the law that they had, that every seven years, Debts would have been cancelled and slaves would have been freed. So when we talk about slavery here, we're talking about people who couldn't afford to pay someone back. So they end up in kind of labor for that person until they have been deemed to pay off their debt. So every seven years, there's this law amongst the people of Israel that they're going to just call off the debts. And so release the prisoners, uh, release the slaves from their work. And then every... 50 years, which is seven times seven, which was a very special number for them, plus one, was the Jubilee year, or the year of the ram's horn. And when they used to uh, blow this horn, this, this trumpet would sound, and it would announce the fact that the year of Jubilee has come. And on that year, what was supposed to happen, and I say supposed to happen, and you're going to find out why in a moment, what was supposed to happen was that not only were debts to be uh, cancelled, not only were slaves to be freed, but also anyone who had to sell their land because they were in debt would get their land back. 
So in those previous 50 years, if you had to sell your land because you were poor, you'd get that land back. And that was a big deal. Okay? It wasn't just a, a, an asset thing. It was having land in the promised land. And that's a huge deal. That was a huge deal for them because this was a land that God had given them. And so their, their inheritance would have been lost because of the debt that they would have got into. Perhaps through foolish choices of their own. Perhaps through things that they just did, which was just stupid. Perhaps through things that were done to them. Lost inheritance would suddenly be returned to them in the year of Jubilee. And not only that, but God also instigated the year of Jubilee as a year where there would be no work on agriculture. They would have stored aside their grain from the previous year. It was to be a year to allow the ground to rest and to allow the farmers to rest. This was to be a year where people wouldn't toil. And yet, nowhere in Scripture or in history do we see that this ever happened. That 50th year never happened. That, that, that jubilee, it never happened once. Which shows you something of the selfishness of the human heart, doesn't it? We would be exactly the same today. If, we, if it was announced in the budget next week that there's going to be a year of jubilee where everyone who had debts, it gets cancelled out, there would be a lot of rejoicing, wouldn't there? But there would also be a lot of misery because there's a lot of people who actually make money from the fact that people owe them money. There would be anarchy if that was announced. There would be many people very happy, but there would be chaos because of the sinfulness of the human heart. This was a, a gracious law instigated by God to lift up the poor and to kind of keep a check on those who were very wealthy. And yet, because of the selfishness of our human hearts, this never happened. It never happened once. And so, when Jesus is saying, these scriptures today have been fulfilled in me, he's saying, I've come to do for you what you would never do for one another. I've come to free you from your slavery. I've come to pay off your debts. I've come to restore to you your lost inheritance because of your foolish behavior. I've come to make it so that you no longer have to toil. You no longer have to work. You, you just enjoy the grace of God. Uh, this is what Jesus is saying when he says, this has been fulfilled in me. In Jesus, God has canceled our debt. He's released us from bondage. He has given us this rest for our weary souls now. This is what Jesus came to proclaim. We could not pay God back for our debt. We couldn't wriggle free from the slavery that our sinful ways had got us into. We had forfeited our inheritance of perfect relationship with God by going our own way. And yet at great cost to him, when we needed a jubilee year, God instigated the year of jubilee by sending his son Jesus. He said, at great cost to me, I'm going to make it so that your debts can be paid off. That's good news, isn't it? That's really good news. Do you trust in Jesus? This is true for you. In Colossians chapter 2, this is what we read in verse 13. You, you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. So we had a debt that stood against us with legal demands. It had to be repaid. It had to be repaid. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Do you trust in Jesus? Do you trust in Jesus? If you do, then you once had this record of debt that stood against you. It had to be paid somehow. And God 
at the right time sent Jesus for us to die in our place, to take our debt, to take our shame, to nail our debt to the cross. We deserved what he got and we now get what he deserved. We now get what he deserved, which is perfect relationship with God. We, we get what he deserves in terms of our, our right standing before him. And the people, when they hear Jesus declaring this year of the Lord's favor is going to be for all people. When they hear him declaring that this is not just for a certain in crowd, it's not just for a certain nation, but it's actually for the whole world, they get mad. They get really mad about this. There's a phrase that says, the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. This one glorious message of grace that for those who would be humble and say, yeah, I need it. I need this forgiveness. I, I couldn't do it on my own. This same message of grace that for many melts the ice, for some will harden the heart. For those who will not humble themselves and say, I need this. I'm in great need for I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. That same sign of grace that melts the ice hardens the heart. And this is what's going on with the people of Nazareth. They want to tell God what he can and cannot do. They want to tell God that he categorically must not bless those people over there. That he must bless them. And listen, when we rightly understand grace, we realize that it's on offer for everyone. It's not just restricted to a few people that we think deserve it. That we think, well, it's, you know, it's just for the people who live a certain way. They live like me, then they deserve it. No, it's open and on offer to all. When we really grasp it, when we really become a people who revel in the grace of God, then we'll be a people that change the world. When we really get a hold of the fact that it's not on anything that we could do, but it's purely out of the goodness and graciousness of God, then we'll be a people, as we're excited about the grace of God, that we will transform the world. Because we'll see there's no restrictions to God's grace. And grace is able to save the, the reckless younger brother and the hypocritical older brother. He's, he's able to save the most vile of sinners. But humility is required. Without humility, we're stuck in dead religion. We're stuck in dead religion thinking it's about us and what we do and what we can achieve. And it's dead religion that tries to force Jesus off the cliff in this story. They get a hold of him. They're not having this. They're not having the fact that this offer of grace is going to go global. They're not having the fact that they can't, they can't make him do the things they want him to do. When we, when we think that we're law keepers, we think that God is somehow obligated to us. That he must do what we think he should do. But when we realize that it's all of grace, we revel in his grace. We trust him. And yet they think, well, God should do what, what, what I tell him to do. Because I keep the law. Because I, I, I do what I should do. I've had the right upbringing. But humility is required. They try to drag Jesus to the cliff. But they heard these things in the synagogue. They were filled with wrath. And they rose up and they drove him out of the town. They brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built. So that they could throw him down the cliff. But I love this. This is like... Tom and Jerry. This is when there's a big bundle and suddenly somehow Jerry just walks out completely unharmed. But passing through their midst, Jesus went away. It wasn't his time. It wasn't his time. But listen, 
Dead religion would get their man. Dead religion would get its man. Dead religion would take a hold of Jesus and force nails through his hands. Dead religion would get a hold of Jesus and whip him to within an inch of his life. Dead religion would get a hold of Jesus and parade him in front of the multitudes, embarrassing him, scorning him. And yet the Bible says this was for us, that this was for us, so that the year of the Lord's favor could be announced. Jesus stops the reading halfway through or a part of the way through the text because the next bit is about the vengeance or the judgment of God. Jesus holds the fire there and says, now, now is the time of God's favor. Come and take a hold of this favor now. One day a judgment will come. One day a judgment will come, but now is the day of the Lord's favor. Will you reject him today or will you humble yourself and take a hold of this gift? Will you say, I need him? Will you say, Jesus, I need you? Or will you say, no, I'm all right on my own. I'm going to keep trying my best. I'm going to keep trying hard. Are you going to reject him because he doesn't kind of match up to your expectations? He does things differently to the way you think he should do it? Or are you going to take a hold of him today in faith and say, Jesus, I need you. I want to lead us in a, a prayer right now with our eyes closed. I want to lead those who just know today, for the first time, I need to take a hold of this gift of grace in Jesus. I want to lead us in a prayer. And I'm going to ask you when I finish praying to raise your hand if you've prayed this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came not for the in crowd, but came for the whole world. Lord Jesus, you came that we might have life in you. And right now, I say, Jesus, I need you. And I need what you did for me on that cross. I need that forgiveness. I need that debt to be paid. Because I recognize that I have racked up an almighty debt. And I trust you that you nailed it to the cross. And I want to live for you. And I want to live my life reveling in the grace of God. Thank you, Lord, that you are here. Amen. Just with eyes closed, perhaps uh, my friend Mark, Tim, just with their eyes open too, with eyes closed around the room, just, just respect people's privacy here. If you, if you have prayed that prayer for the first time in your heart, of, I, want, I want to become a Christian today. I want to give my life to this Jesus. I want you to raise your hand very high for me, just where you are. If you said, I need you, Jesus. If you said, this is the day. I'm taking hold of the Lord's favor right now. I'm going to trust in him. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray, shall we? For just Let's stand and pray. We're going to uh, break bread and have juice in a moment. We're going to just celebrate the cross together. But I want to pray for us as a family right now. Father, I ask that we would be a people who never lose the wonder of your grace, that we never lose sight of this amazing favor that you've shown us, that you've come for the whole world and you've come for those that least deserve it and that's us, Lord. 
I pray that we would understand that this grace is to everyone. This offer is to everyone. Help us to take this offer of your favor to all places far and wide. Would we be so reveling in the grace of God that we want everyone to know. We want everyone to know the year of the Lord's favor is here. Seek him now whilst he can be found. Take a hold of him now. Help us, Lord God. Help us as we celebrate you now. Just bring to our mind the joy, bring to our hearts the joy of our salvation. As we take a hold of this bread and this juice, representing your body broken for us on that cross, representing your blood poured out for us for the forgiveness of our sins, we celebrate together now in Jesus' name. We love you, Lord. We love you. We love you, Lord. What you say to him, you love him. I love you, Lord. You've saved me. I didn't deserve it. I love you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your amazing grace. Thank you for going to the cross for me. I didn't deserve it. Lord, you came. You came to proclaim favor, and you've shown me such favor. Thank you, God. We love you, Lord. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.